Good morning. This morning's scripture is a reading of selected verses from Numbers 13 and 14. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent the 12 of them out. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. There they reported to the whole assembly. They gave this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Joshua and Caleb, two of those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid. The word of the Lord. Let's all stand up together if we could. To me. Can we all say, Great is your faithfulness to me? Great is, great is your faithfulness. As you hear that song, just uh, adopt an attitude of prayer if you would, and I want to pray for us to open up this morning. So many world bending calamities going on. God is asking us this morning to trust Him, to trust His promises. Will you give to the Lord this morning those things which really feel like a threat, those things that are most scary around the world and in your own neighborhood, in your own family, in your own self? Can you give those to the Lord this morning? Take them all. The Lord is near, Grace City. Lord is near. He is not far. You don't have to beg him to come close. He is right with you. Let's pray together. Father, it strikes me this morning, this weekend, that our sisters and brothers in Haiti are, have had another bad earthquake, and I thank you for the honor of spending many months of my life in Haiti, and I pray for those friends there this morning, that you will be with them and let them know you're with them, and that you will cause all of us around the world to come to their aid in ways that make a difference. Father, in the same way, we pray for our sisters and brothers in Kabul this morning as Kabul falls backwards 
I pray especially for the women of Afghanistan in these years ahead that have tasted what it's like to be free, to be co-equal citizens, and I pray that you will give them protection, be a hedge around them, and all in that country. Thank you for the many friends all of us, many of us here in this congregation have that have spent lots of time in Kabul and around Afghanistan. Thank you for my brothers, many months there. And we now lift them up to you. Father, we live in a hard world, but we know this. You are our God, and you are good, and you ask us to trust you. And we do, as a community this morning, we say we trust you, we love you, and we look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, we all pray, amen. You may be seated in his presence. Thank you, worship team for leading us in that way. It's such a great preparation. I hope you notice sometimes how well the worship team prepares us for the text, for the scripture that we're going to be in. Every week, they spend an inordinate amount of time to put together a playlist that reflects where we're headed in the scripture. So if you haven't ever noticed that, notice it going forward. It'll, it'll be fun for you. Numbers, thir- Numbers is a book of the Old Testament in the Pentateuch. If you haven't read Numbers in a while, how many read Numbers just this last month, right? Nobody. Numbers is a tough book, but it has some phenomenal stories in it, Corey Barnes, doesn't it? This, and this series about the power of stories yields to us one of these great stories out of Numbers. We're in chapters 13 and 14, um, and we didn't read all of that this morning because it would be way too long, but at least we got the story out there. But I encourage you at home... Uh, And I encourage you here in the congregation to open your Bibles to Numbers 13 and 14 and follow along and look ahead and look back because I'm going to be moving back and forth in this story. Now, I have a new word for you to use this week. Are you ready for it? A new word, and it's liminality. It's spelled just the way it sounds, liminality. Most of you, many of you, some of you, maybe not any of you, will know what it means. And it's a term that is used to describe both the physical and the psychological process of transitioning across boundaries and borders. It's the process. It literally means the threshold separating one space from another space, not unlike this aisle we have here. If you've ever wondered what this aisle's for, it's not to walk in, obviously. It's so the camera has a clear shot of the front. It is a liminal space. It literally means a place in the wall where people move from one room to another. So it's a portal. It's a hallway. It's a rite of passage psychologically, and it can be frightening, right? This is why horror movies make use of the inbred response we have to liminality. For instance, the ever-expanding hallway of the movie The Shining, or the world beneath the floor or within the walls of the TV show Stranger Things. And we are mostly well-served to move through such space with dispatch. We might hang familiar pictures in our hallway to give comfort as we pass through. We might even put a table with a lamp to give light in a space that is a little bit frightening, but we don't typically put comfy furniture in our hallways because we don't intend to linger in the transitional. The longer we linger, the str- well, that's a great phrase. That could be a title of a The longer we linger. The longer we linger in a space like that, the stranger it actually gets. And in, t- in today's world, there are plenty of threatening liminal spaces. We live in the midst of a transitional phase called the pandemic, and it ebbs and flows, and right now it is flowing, is it not? And it's frightening. Uh, In Kabul this morning, they are in a liminal space as you watch the helicopters moving people out 
from that space to a, to a safer space. When it comes to our climate and we look around the world, we're in a liminal space. What is coming on the other side of climate crisis? When it comes to race and racialized uh, prejudice, we have lived in this space for decades, centuries even, in this country, a liminal space. And that's not unknown in Scripture, is it, John, for liminal space to go on for centuries? Because in this morning's story, church, we join 12 Hebrew spies who are sent through liminal space, a threshold, from one side of reality to the next, from 400 years of slavery in Egypt to the promised land of God. They're sent to scope it out and to report back. Imagine that job. And the response to their report mirrors many of our divided debates in our world these days in the face of our multiple world-bending challenges. There is a strange mix of dread and hope. There's a mix of disappointment and opportunity. There's a mix of discord and agreement all coming together in the liminal space. These 12 spies are strangers in a strange land. And let me just point out, and I'll say more about this in a minute, but you and I, as followers of Christ, we are strangers in a strange land as well. And so that's our title this morning, Strangers in a Strange Land. And those of you who've been paying attention notice that I'm naming all my sermons in this series after sci-fi novels that I loved as a child. And you, if you can guess who wrote this and what that book was, it's a modification of the title, just one letter. Um, but come up and tell me later and you'll win a prize. Now, liminal space, liminal space is defined by movement, right? Or it should be. Sometimes when it's defined by stuckness, it actually hurts us. It's traumatic. But we don't always know what direction to move, right? We, or we don't even know if we're moving at all. Here's what I mean. If you're at Penn Station and you're dozing on the train about to leave, you might look up out the window and notice that the train next to you is moving. Or perhaps that train is sitting still and you're moving. It can be hard to tell. Have you ever had this, this uh, moment of dis, uh, just discombobulation? Like, who's actually moving here? And without the lurch of sudden acceleration, Alan, it's really hard to tell. The only clue we have is that our relative position is changing somehow in relative to the other thing. And for most of us, it's disconcerting to know that something's moving, but we're not sure what. What is it that's actually moving? So let's ask ourselves this morning, Gray City, as we begin in this text, can followers of Christ ever stay where they are? Or should they? Or can anyone actually stay where they are? We have a lot invested in that, but it never actually is possible. Because whether or not we commit to movement, the world never stays precisely as it or where it was. And insisting that it should or has or does is simply a waste of time. And it will always be a source of frustration. The world is always moving. But Grace City, here's the deal. Once you're in a slot, once you're in something that makes you feel comfortable, it's harder and harder to move out of it. This is homeostasis. You've heard me talk about it for 12 years. The status quo is, is powerful because it is so very good at persisting. It has life to it. Homeostasis, look that up. One option, Grace City, in your own faith journey, as you seek to become closer to God, reconciled with God, reconciled with one another, one option is to take your assignment and your growth seriously. Take it seriously, embracing yourself as the stranger in an ever stranger land, like the 12 tri tri tribes, like the 12 spies, 
like Jesus, and we'll talk about that more in a minute too, instead of, of simply clearing the incoming information that you get or retreating from what's knocking on your door every day, instead of retreating from that, you can invest the time and the resources and the energy to, to learn and grow and practice newness in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just say, growth is always reflected in effort and readiness to move through liminal space to what's next in Christ. And that's our job. Parents and teachers know this as the school year begins. It's, it's a crazy world for, for education right now. It, it always is, by the way. But with a pandemic, it's a thousand times crazier. Stranger, moving all the time. Kids' culture still changes, though, every few weeks. And you've got to keep up if you're a parent. School culture changes every few months. And you've got to keep up if you're an educator. So are we going to commit to our own personal growth and movement uh, toward what Christ has for us? And we can do it in so many ways, and we've talked about it through the years here, reading and, and getting together and connecting with people who, who don't think like you but are wise in their own way. Knocking on the doors of growth yourself. This is our job. Why? Because if we retreat from the difficult, God's stuff, God's stuff is difficult. God's stuff is always difficult. If we retreat from it, it carries a cost. And here's my first point this morning, because retreat, retreat defers, at least defers the promises of God. Retreat defers the promises of God. Now listen, when the, when, when the enslaved Hebrews departed Egypt, they all went, they all left Egypt together, right, John? They, they danced at the border celebrating their liberation. They all walked into the wilderness. They all ate quail that showed up inexplicably from God. They all ate the bread of heaven that showed up inexplicably. We call it manna. They were all satisfied. They all drank water from a rock. They all lived to the abundance according to the new emergence of God's abundance in the wilderness. Though not without ambivalence and drama and discomfort, it was a magnificently frightening time for the few weeks between liberation from slavery from one place to the threshold of God's promised place. Those few weeks that we are in in Numbers 13 and 14 were magnificently frightening. Imagine that. And then, Grace City at the brink of God's promise, it got hard and they wanted to go back because it got hard. They wanted to retreat back to Egypt. Imagine saying, let's go back and be slaves once more because it's a devil we know. We understand it. Let's go back. Now, listen, when it comes to retreat, American Christians are very good at taking retreats. They are. And as a pastor and a therapist, I understand that retreats are often appropriate, necessary to rebuild and regroup oneself and one's community. I'd I'm just back from vacation, and it was a wonderful time, uh, a wonderful retreat. Corey's just back from vacation. I understand it was a wonderful retreat. But there is another kind of retreat, a going backwards kind of retreat, and that is costly. And our text illustrates perfectly the cost of inappropriate retreat when it comes to God and his call toward his promises. When the time came to enter the land of promise, the newly liberated community was sharply divided around the report of the 12 spies. Because the spies who scoped out the new land of promise returned with two reports. One was of a luxurious land of milk and honey, which had been promised and is exactly what they found. 
look at, look at uh, Numbers 13, 27. We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They're even carrying between them these large poles with huge harvests of grapes on them to, just to show back in the liminal space what they found in the space, space they're supposed to transition to. Now, 10 of the spies, 10 of the 12, however, added to their report an antithetical view, a sobering yet, a but, a but that always changes what comes before it. Right, Corey? And they say this in verse 28. Just listen to it. Yet the people, yet the people who live in the land are strong and the towns are fortified and very large. And then look at verse 32 with me. So they brought an unfavorable report of the land, saying the land devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are of great size. It is no wonder, church, that this twofold report evoked conflict in the community. On the one hand, the majority opinion chose to accent risk and even exaggerate the, the danger and give false reports. And that same majority wished for a return to the supposedly good old days of Egypt. Imagine. Listen to this in, in chapter 14, 2 to 4. Take a look. Verses 2 to 4. If only we had died in Egypt. Oh, my heart. That's how desperate we get when things get hard. And we're just like this. Or if only we died in the wilderness. They've only been there a few weeks. If only we died. Oh, my God. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Can you identify with those kinds of feelings when things get hard? Think about it. This is powerful story about who we are as humans. Let's go back to what we're used to. It wasn't so bad. <laughs> they were defined now at this point, Grace City, by a fear that caused them to default on the land of promise and resubmit to the old, brutal realities of Pharaoh. Imagine. But the minority report, watch this, on the other hand, did not blink, did not blink at the very real risk. It was risky. But they believed that the good land and its good fruit were the substance of God's promise. And here's Caleb. There's only two. Here's Caleb, one of the two spies, already in 13, verse 30. Take a look. Let's go up at once and occupy it, he said, for we are well able to overcome it. Imagine the courage it took in the face of all the grumbling now of the people. And then Joshua joins Caleb in chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Watch this. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and will give it to us. And so the die is cast. Not unlike the way the die is cast these days in our own time. There's a majority opinion grounded in fear. There's a minority opinion rooted in hope. And I'm going to say more about hope in a minute. Ten spies, ten spies come back with a fearful and in some details false report. And they create hysteria in the community. Sound familiar? And, and two, two of them spoke with complete confidence in God's promise. But they are fighting an uphill battle to move toward God's promise. Because now people are unwilling to move ahead into what God had uh, for them in spite of his promise. And everything they had seen to date about God's what God can do. I mean, these are folks who saw the, the plagues. They came through the Red Sea. They watched God at work. And now they're ready to turn their backs on it. 
And this is not unlike all of us. We all have this human predilection to turn our back even when we know God is, is good, that God makes good on his promises. When we get scared, we want to do it on our own. Let's make our own decisions. He's too hard, and we turn our backs. Grace City, there are, there are many troubling retreats one can take on the threshold of God's promises while we're in the liminal space that we talked about a minute ago. We can walk in fear instead of hope. We can walk in disobedience to what God calls us to. We can walk in a crowd mentality. We do that all the time in our world today. We, we can resist the difficult simply because it's difficult. We can even link mismatched ideals and passions to, to, to retreat. But take a reality check on the cost because, because of their fear in the liminal space on the brink, on the precipice of the promised land, what should have taken a few months, John, right? What should have taken a few months at most would now take 40 years. That's the cost. What a contrast. What a tragedy. If you were 10 years old at this time, you are now 50 when you enter the promised land. If you're 20 years or older, you never see the promised land. This is the cost. Retreats such as this at least delay the promises of God, and we've seen it in our time way too many times. So, Grace City, how, how many times could we, just take yourself as an individual for a moment, just individual, how many times could we as individuals have gotten through things much quicker, but because of our pride, we end up prolonging our stuckness in a given relational break where we, we just can't reconcile with one another? How often do we resist asking for forgiveness after we have done wrong, but rather we maintain a, a stubborn mindset and, for, and, and, and forfeit the promised land of reconciliation. All of this will face, the, face this eventually, multiple times in our lives. More than once, church, I have hurt friends through poor choices, poor words, poor decisions, and I must spend the time and resources necessary to repair and reconcile, no matter how long it takes. That's my job now, to move toward the promise of reconciliation. But then, listen to this through the lens of community for a moment. Look around the room and think of us as, as a community. How often have we resisted God's promises as a community because of our fear of the difficult and our preference for the status quo? And we end up persisting in the same sort of distress of our own metaphorical Egypts. Here, here's what I mean. Like, like the Hebrews, 430 years under Egyptian slavery, we are just over 400 years into our own version of racialized injustice. 400 years. It's kind of amazing how it parallels Egypt. And though we live at the threshold of racial reconciliation, though we have tasted and seen the promises of God when he talks about being one as the Father and I am one, his call to that promised land of oneness, we still retreat from the fray when it gets onerous, when it gets hard. We like to forget about it, put up the hand to it. It's too much. And God says, keep moving toward it. Trust me, it's a promised land of reconciliation. It's going to be great, but it's going to be hard, and it's going to be risky. We give lip service, don't we, to, to being good stewards of the earth. We get this from Genesis chapter 1. But we persist in, in status quo, social lifestyles that harm our planet at ever-increasing rates. It's hard to do anything about it. We're seeing the costs, but it's so hard, we like to turn our backs on it. And God says, don't turn your backs 
I have promised this land to you. Be good stewards. Figure it out. The, the now multiple years of, of, of pandemic are so traumatic, they're so fraught, that instead of moving as one toward the real solution of vaccines, for instance, and by the way, we as a church would say to you, I will say to you as a pastor, go get your vaccine. I think we're pretty good at this at this church, but let's say it to our friends and neighbors in Baltimore. Let's say it together. Go get your vaccine. Many, though, will link their love of freedom to a rejection of the very things that promise liberation from the scourge. Let's go back. It was better. It's a total mismatch of values. Not at all unlike what's going on in Egypt. So, so we too are divided, aren't we? Like Israel in those fateful days in the wilderness on the threshold of God's promise. Go forward. No, go back. What should we do? We don't know. We'll debate. We'll get stuck. And if we want to be part of the two spies and not part of the ten spies, we must be ready because readiness prevents retreat. And here's my second point. Readiness accesses the promises of God. So let's look at how God responds here. Yahweh provides the grounds for forgiveness of the faithfulness of Israel. But church, Yahweh is not a pushover. There is a cost. Yahweh weighs in on the contrasting platforms of the ten spies and the two spies, the majority of fear, the minority of hope, and he always stands on the side of persistent hope. Moses has prayed for forgiveness for the majority who wish to return to Egypt. And then listen to um, God's response to, to Moses in chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them. As you asked, Moses, nevertheless, wow, nevertheless, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me, not one of them will ever see the land I promised to their ancestors. Only Caleb and Joshua remain to go to the promised land. He says in verse 30, God says, not one of you shall come into the land which I swore to you to settle except Caleb and Joshua. These two will enter the land of promise. These two, but no more. Only these two. All the others in their timidity, their backward look, their lack of trust in God's promise would die in the wilderness in that liminal space, that frightening liminal space. So there is a cost to retreat. And Grace City, we clearly see here, looking at the minority, the entry into God's promises depends both on our... Two things. It depends both on our readiness to trust the promise, and we all subscribe to that, but here's the harder one. It also is prescribed by equal readiness to run the risks necessary to access those promises. Trust me and be ready to run the risk. Are you ready, Grace City? Are we ready to run the risks for God's promised lands here in Baltimore? The majority played it safe. They were unable to trust and unwilling to risk. And they have no future. They have this strange confidence in going backwards to slavery. It's a, it's a past that brutalized them, but they're bought into it. Can you imagine? But we do this kind of thing. The promise, on the other hand, is fulfilled to Caleb and Joshua because they were ready. And listen, just listen. It's not on a slide. In Numbers 32, none except Caleb and Joshua. For Why? Because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That's the prescription. The single mark of qualification is following wholeheartedly, without reservation. Caleb and Joshua are ready. They're all in. Are we all in? How do we get ready and practice the art of being all in? Because retreat defers the promise. Readiness accesses God's promises. And now we look to restore, point number three, restore God's promises that we already know and embrace in his word. 
because restoration seals the promises of God. Here it is. Our current wilderness of virus, of racial tension, of climate crisis, that's just three of, of many dozens, but three major global things. They all invite a modern application of this story. The power of this story is only if we're willing to apply it. We, too, live in a wilderness-like context today. You all feel it when you get up. If you watch the news, the wilderness can overwhelm you. Many of you have said, I'm not watching the news anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure that's a great way to deal with it, but, but I can understand if it's overwhelming you. We, too, live in this wilderness-like context. And church, going back, going backwards is no longer adequate. It's no longer persuasive. It's, it's going back to the brutal realities of Pharaoh in our own metaphorical time. And it won't work. The world is moving, and so must we through that liminal space. Listen, we too are strangers in a strange land. We are citizens of heaven first. Write that down. We are citizens of heaven first. And that makes us strangers here. We are actually designated ambassadors. I'm not making this up. This is Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God, scoping out the neighborhood, scoping out the world moving through one liminal space after another toward the promised lands outlined by God in his scripture. We do have his word on our promised lands. And church, we must resist the magnetic draw to go back or give in to old cruelties that we're so familiar with. And it is magnetic, it is compelling, but we must resist it as the people of God. Our promised lands, according to Scripture, they're going to look like racial justice. They're going to look like good stewardship of the planet. They're going to look like the neighborliness of vaccines that love our neighbor and ourselves. They're going to look like those things. I mean, spy them out for yourselves. Go scope them out for yourselves. But despite how difficult they may be, will you trust God to occupy those spaces as his people? Will you trust him to walk that way? This story begs the question, are you ready? Here's the question. Are you one of the ten or are you one of the two? Wow, I know that's hard, but that, that question ought to, ought to keep us up at night. It does me. As I prepared this message, I, I keep looking around. Am I one of the ten or one of the two? What does the promised land look like today? Can you ask that with me? It's in his word. It is. You remember Jesus declared his job description, which we inherit from him? Look at Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. You've seen it before. He said, remember the poor, visit the prisoner, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, deliver the oppressed, serve the least, stand up for the marginalized. This is what the promised land looks like, isn't it? And it's scary to walk into it because it'll change you. It'll change your world. And he says, don't be afraid, move toward that. This is the vision of God's promised land. And it's assigned to us by Jesus, not by me, not by Grace City, but let me put it in more in terms of our political economy, where we are so divided today, just beyond the wilderness of our crises that we all live in today, just beyond, we're on the threshold of his promised lands, the coming land of promise, it will be marked by freedom that is defined by shared responsibility and sacrifice. That's a different definition of freedom, shared responsibility. It'll be defined by an economy of generosity, It'll be defined by, defined by a political bent, a leaning, a strong push toward racial reconciliation and repair. It'll be defined by a practice of neighborliness that has us all going out to the get, get the vaccine, not so much for me, but for you. 
for my neighbors, for the children who can't get it yet, to protect them. It's about them. It's never about us in God's economy, in God's promised land. And if we take these biblical markings, markers together, they sound just like what Jesus called the kingdom of God. Where you love your neighbor as yourself. Where he says, be one as, the, as God and I are one. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or a liberal or conservative or independent. These markers belong to all of us together. And I want to just take a moment before the worship team comes. I want to invite any of you who might wish to have a conversation about these issues that threaten your world, that divide your world, that cause you anguish and anger towards anybody. Please come and talk to Corey or me or an elder or some friend in a small group who thinks differently than you or thinks alike. But seek out people you trust and go have conversations. Listen, Corey and I, we'll sit down, we'll talk about how, uh, you know, what we're thinking about, how all of this works to bring us closer to God. That's our reconciling, reconciling ourselves to God in all these arenas. And to inform our actions on this planet, we'll talk about theology and and faith, and God, and Jesus, and how it all comes together. And, and, and it's not about convincing you, but it is about having the conversation. If you're wondering about what faith and theology says about vaccines, will you make an appointment? Let's talk about it. Worship team's coming up in Great City. Let me, let me just remind you, we are strangers in a strange land. Because, why? Not because you're cool and hip, and you get Apple products. That, that's not what does it. It was a commercial back in the 80s for Apple. We're strangers in a strange land because we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, our Lord. The ultimate stranger. I'm not making that up. The Apostle John described him this way in, in the first chapter of his gospel. He says this about Jesus. Are you ready? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and the world did not receive him. Don't be surprised, Grace City, when you're not received. Our task is never easy. God never promises ease. But the possibility and promise of God's kingdom empower hope today. And we have some good news in our day. Back then, in Numbers 13 and 14, there were only two. What's the good news? This day, we have far more than two. Will you look around this room for a minute? At home, will you just try to get a sense of how many are part of this community and the community, the larger community meeting this morning? Look around, seriously. Look backwards. Look around. Look across. There are far more than two. So be like Caleb and Joshua, but join hands with dozens and hundreds of others. Hope like Caleb and Joshua, because church in Christ, listen to me. If you get nothing else out of this message, listen to this. Hope in, in Christ hope is not optimism. It's not. It is not the expectation that everything will turn out good in the end. That's not hope. That's not even a thing in the scriptures. There's no such thing as that in the scriptures. It's not a thing. Somebody say it's not a thing. To have Christian hope, church, is to act in courage, claiming what we know and what we can do and what we're willing to risk together. It's held together by realistic truth-telling about the world. It's acting to create a better world on earth as it is in, in heaven. That's our job. And it's looking toward the redemption that comes through the grace of God. 
Church, our, our Christian move toward the promised lands of God on this earth as it is in heaven is not merely hope in action. It is a demonstration to the world, the neighborhood, the street, your next door neighbor. It's a demonstration to the world that hope is action. That we never give up. We never go back. And when we do this, our neighbors will be so compelled, they will join you. They will join us because they want to be part of something that changes this world from mess into something that reflects God's promise. Amen? Let's stand and sing together and worship on our way out. We'll be back with the benediction.